Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Chapel Hill. Happy Thanksgiving week coming up. At this time next week, we'll be getting over our turkey hangovers. (laughs) Turkey sandwiches, turkey biscuits, stir-fried turkey. (laughs) Whatever turkey you can think of. What else can you do with turkey? You got to love turkey soup. You know, I've told you all this before, but every... uh, at least five, four times a week, we try to go on a long walk together, Sarah and I. And our habit on that walk is, hey, what's five things you're thankful for today? Every day. This isn't just Thanksgiving week. Well, of the five things I'm thankful for, I think one of them has got to be top force and four is my wife, Sarah. And um, I'm just, there's many reasons why, but I'm thankful for her partnership with me in planning a church in pastoral ministry and apostolic things that we've got going on, meaning sending and planting and doing stuff. I, don't, I can't imagine doing that as a husband or just a man, just alone. Like, or, you know, sometimes that happens a lot. And, I mean, it's just such a gift. And um, I want to talk on something. What have I got? I got 30 minutes. Are you guys good? You know when you've had the, the Thanksgiving hors d'oeuvres? And then the turkey and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and the, and the, and the, and the, and the mac and cheese. And the green, Nana's greens come out with some vinegar. Ooh, I'm getting hungry. And you know when you've had all that and you, who has like a separate dessert stomach? Like you got to, you filled up the one you got, but there's a side tank. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a sweet potato pie, the pumpkin pie, the cheesecake, whatever. I hope this 30 minutes can be that that pumpkin pie. I hope it can be the cheesecake because the Lord wants to give us something. And it's a little different, but I've been wanting to teach on this for a long, long time. And I feel released right now to talk about women in ministry. All right. So (laughs) thank you, Michael. He's excited. (laughs) Um. Because it's just something that's been on my heart. I believe it's always been on God's heart from the beginning, which is where I'm going to go with these 30 minutes this morning. And because um, my question to the Lord is, Lord, what are you, what are you saying? Because that's really all that matters. What are you saying, particularly, Lord, right now regarding women, your daughters in the kingdom? And, um, you know, this is my heart behind this series, because I'm going to be talking to, the, to this probably about three or four weeks, probably four. Okay, four weeks. And um, how many are aware of some of the recent decisions that have been made within certain streams of the church regarding women in ministry? And, um, you know, so just a couple people. But anyway, if you didn't know, you know, there's been some decisions and it's kind of put it back on in a prominent um, thing, especially in my area as a pastor and in ministry settings. And um, I found that there is a lot of uh, misunderstandings, misrepresentations, misinterpretations of the scripture concerning women and women in ministry. And um, recently, large, prominent churches in our nation have been removed from their denominations because of their desire to ordain women and to have women like Sarah is here as a part of a pastor of this church. 
And um, I consistently hear from some of you and from members of our church that find themselves in difficult conversations with people regarding this topic. I won't ask for a show of hands. Our campus leaders have had many conversations with UNC students and particularly campus ministry leaders about this issue. I've had a high school student in our church say that in their Christian school, they are regularly confronted by teachers about this. I've even had (laughs) stories of uh, young adults on blind dates with Christian guys that for some reason this came up. (laughs) And it was very difficult. It's like, so whenever you're hearing what God's saying, what he's doing around you, this started to be like, okay, Lord, okay. Oh, it's coming from this angle too. Okay, Lord. But I wanted to pause because this has been months. I wanted to pause because, Lord, I don't want to get up and give my opinion. I don't want to give up and give uh, a talk that engages the mind. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would go into our hearts, that he would take us into his word. And my desire is that he would equip you. I hope that this morning and the coming weeks can be an equipping session. A teaching, yes, but an equipping to go forward in all that God has for his bride. Amen. Again, it's not just my prayer is not just for head knowledge, but that the Lord would really get into our hearts. So we just say, come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for doing all this incredible worship time and prayer time in the nations. And now we ask you to open your word to us. And Lord, may we understand your word exactly the way that you inspired the authors to write it. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the bottom line. I'm going to stay disciplined with my notes for the sake of time, too. So I might do a little bit more reading than normal. Just try to stay with me. It won't be boring, I can promise. But here's bottom line, number one. Jesus loves people. Especially those that the world and or religion has commonly cast aside, locked down upon, or put in a theological box. As you guys know, if you've been here, some are visiting, but at River Life, Becky Wicker with her husband Byron is a lead overseeing pastor in our mother church in Mooresville, North Carolina. Care deeply about her input, about her heart, about her pastoral covering. She just recently taught on prayer in our River Life School of Ministry. And some of you, the students here are nodding their head. It was awesome. Like, the authority upon this woman of God is incredible and amazing and valuable. Um, And, of course, Sarah is a co-lead pastor with me at this church. Eva, how many people love Eva? While maybe not ordained yet, Eva's our worship leader, along with Darren as our director, who serves his role there as well. Until two months ago when the Lord moved the Marillos to to Georgia. Tracy and Ken, if you're watching, hey, we love you. We miss you so much. Tracy Marillo was one of the five elders appointed by the Holy Spirit to govern and watch over this local church. Number two, bottom line, is this. Remember this. This is very, very important. The Holy Spirit is always an expansionist. What do you mean that? But Well, when he comes and reveals his truth, first through the written word, and then his rhema word that he breathes on, he's always looking to provide a container 
so that that container can maintain a flow of what he wants to do. So whether it's who can minister in the church, honestly, there's going to come a day where a two-year-old is going to come in here and stage five cancer or stage four cancer is going to be destroyed in somebody's body. I've seen this because a little baby put their hands on them. Do we heal? No, it's always Jesus who heals. What if a five-year-old wanted to take this microphone and prophesy the next season of your destiny? Who would take it? Like, please. You see, God is a respecter of persons in that regard. He can use whomever and wherever he wants to move. This is the history of the church, by the way. I could go down that. I won't go down there right now. The history of the church. So whether it's the gifts of the Spirit, some have read in Paul's writings to Corinth that, well, where there's two or three prophetic words, let that be given and no more. As I've heard people complain, there was more than three prophetic words given in a service. This is unbiblical. I'm going to address Paul in about part three of this series. But listen, the Holy Spirit is an expansionist. Paul was simply giving them a container to accentuate the flow of the Holy Spirit and what he wanted to do. The Holy Spirit wants to expand. Even look at the universe. It's always expanding. Am I wrong? The ministries of the church are growing. So what's at stake here regarding women in ministry? Well, all depending on the demographics, but at least 50% of the members of the church worldwide may not be allowed to fulfill their calling and gifting within the universal church. Therefore, the body will be lacking and less than God's best for his bride. It Biblically, for instance... Regarding another less than historically, regarding children, remember when parents wanted to bring their kids to be blessed by Jesus? The disciples, the disciples now, very, you know, they're picked to be the spiritual leaders. The disciples, no, I'm paraphrasing, no, don't bother him. Why would they do that? Well, in our context, kids were to be seen and not, I mean, were to be seen and not heard. Too distracting, perhaps, and messy for the Son of God. They might get peanut butter and jelly on that beautiful white robe. (laughs) What did Jesus say in Matthew 19? Jesus overheard them and said, I want little children to come to me, so never interfere with them when they want to come. For heaven's kingdom realm is composed of beloved ones like these. Listen to this truth. No one will enter the kingdom realm of heaven unless he becomes like one of these. Then he laid his hands on each of them and went on his way. Well, if that's the case, how do I get younger? Like, I want to maintain that childlike heart. Again, this is just another demographic that in ancient Palestine, in, in, the, in the near middle, the east, at that time that were relegated to less than, to, to not consider worthy to be a part of the most holy things. He was asking his disciples then in this passage to repent. He didn't call, have an altar call and ask them to come down and repent, like come and cry at the altar. That's, not the, that's a fruit of repentance, but what repentance is is to simply change your mind. Change the way that you're thinking about this, disciples. 
Because you see these children, they're where it's at. I'd long for them to come to me, and I long for every adult to have a trusting childlike nature and heart about them. So besides the fact that the Holy Spirit is always an expansionist, remember this, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. If you can't find it, In the eyes, actions, attitudes of the Son of God, as recorded in the Holy Scripture, you have reason at least to question it. So, in this case with children, the same is true about women. Religion has said for centuries to women, no, don't bother him about being a leader. You're a woman. No, don't aspire to leadership. You're a woman. So I ask you, if Jesus is perfect theology, what does Jesus say? What are his interactions like with and around women? Remember, Jesus is perfect theology. Therefore, you must interpret Paul through the lens of Jesus, not the other way around. Many, many, many make this mistake. They take a quote from Paul. And remember, you always got to take the whole way to Scripture. They take a quote from Paul, and they begin to interpret Jesus based on that. I'm like, wait a second. Now, don't get me wrong. What Paul writes was divinely inspired. I believe that. I'm an Orthodox Christian in the sense I believe in the infallible, inerrant word of God. It's still inspired. But what I'm saying is perhaps you're not understanding what Paul was writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not that we don't see the word. It's just that our interpretation of it sometimes is just, just askew. So always try to measure that through, okay, what is Jesus saying? So today, in part one, I want to go back to Eden, and we'll lay a theological basis. That sounds long, but I promise you I can do it in 17 minutes. Then in part two and three, we'll look at specific women in the Bible and in church history to gain an understanding regarding Jesus' view on women, as I just said, and gain revelation from the Holy Spirit about the whole weight of Scripture on this issue. In part four, we're going to address the difficult statements of Paul. Like, in the church, I don't allow a woman to speak. What is is the Holy Spirit saying in that? I'm going to to address some of these difficult statements of Paul in his letters in the Bible and seek to gain clarity. My email is bollinger.matthew. Just... No, seriously. Email me, last name, dot, first name, bollinger.matthew. Email me your questions. I want to know, because in part one here, I want to talk about the restoration. What was God's original plan for women and men from the beginning? So first, before we go to Genesis, let's consider a similar theological conundrum in Acts 15. In Acts 15.1, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. And they were saying to the believers, listen to this, because we would be like, what? They're like, all right, here's what it is, church, river life. Now I'm putting us in that context. Unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. What? That's what it was. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them. So I'm saying Byron and Matthew and Becky and Sarah, we disagree with this topic. There's disagreement. It happened here. 
They were arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So some teach, if you're a woman, you cannot teach in the church or be in lead ministry or be ordained. There's different variances. I feel like biblically, Jesus disagrees. Paul disagrees with them, actually. And we as a church disagree with them. And I want to make a biblical case for why. Is, is everybody okay? All right. It's still good in the room. Like, all right. You got my email address. But anyway, <laughs> what's at stake? Why is this important? Because above, <laughs> Acts 15, 8, God knows people's hearts. That's what's at stake. Okay. So God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So they said, in other words, you got to be circumcised, i.e., you need to be Jewish mostly. But even if you're not Jewish, if you'll go under the knife, ouch, then we'll, we'll let you in. So they're trying to address this. like, mm. And so this is the first thing is by giving them the Holy Spirit. So he made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Do you see the similarities here? The same religious spirit. Remember, we don't fight against flesh and blood. It's not a person. It's not a committee. It's not a denominational leader. No, there's called a principality and power. It's the same one that killed Jesus by the Pharisees. That rule that said, no, he deserves death and he was the living son of God in front of them. This same, so when I say religion, are you getting me? Some people are like, well, I thought we were religious. Yeah, we are in the sense that we love and serve God, but we're not in the sense of we're, it's just form without power. And that we're here just kind of going through some rituals. That's not what this is about. But that same principality and power are all called religious spirit that tried to hold back the salvation from the Gentiles, tries to hold back women from ministry and their God-ordained destinies. Everyone listen in verse 12, quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Consider our recent church history in America. Amy Simple McPherson, have you ever heard of her? A woman in L.A. who founded the Foursquare Denomination. Incredible artist, actress. Look her up. Google her and read about her life. Amy Simple McPherson. I can provide that to you. Again, email me. What about Catherine Coleman? Would anybody in this room want to say, you're, you're not doing the will of God? Joyce Myers, mom's favorite. What about Heidi Baker? 6,000 churches later, she'll walk into a village. Bring me all your deaf. All the deaf are healed. The gospel is preached. Everyone gets saved. I mean, not every time. Seeing resurrections from the dead. I mean, everything that you can imagine. How many people in this room have ever been to a Heidi Baker meeting where she's up here? I would say preaching, but that's kind (laughs) of weeping, laughing, on worshiping. She worships on the floor and then tells what she's feeling, like what's coming from heaven. It's absolutely heavenly and incredible. I would hate to be the one that sits Heidi down and says, I hate to tell you this, but 
You're out of line. You're out of order. This is just to name a few. I only named four. That's not doing it justice. But look up the details of what God has accomplished through women who are called to be apostolic even. This is from the New Testament on. This has never stopped. I'm going to show it to you. This is part of the restoration of the house of David. The end of Acts 15 and verse 15. And this conversation of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, afterward I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And in verse 31, it says, and there was great joy. Everybody say great joy. There was rejoicing throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. And see, I believe that same thing is going to fall upon the church. There's great joy when where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. All of God's children are free to be who God created them to be. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. This isn't liberal preaching. I'm not going off onto how many genders there are. The Bible's clear. There's two. He created them male and female. So in case you're nervous about the snowball effect of where I'm going or the line, this is the line. It's called the Bible. God created them male and female, and he blessed them, not him. He blessed them and said this, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Be fruitful and multiply isn't just about our six kids or your two or five or eight or whatever. It's not about just physical descendants, but this has to do with spiritual fathering and mothering. It takes two. It takes every expression created in the image of God. This is the first part of Genesis. And he created them in his image. With distinct differences, but a common theme. And that theme was to govern and to reign. To rule and reign through a servant's heart. Just like Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So original design and intent. To whom did God give the creation mandate that we just read in Genesis 1.28? Men and women. Both were designed to rule with kingdom authority. Jesus, when he came, he bought back everything lost in the Garden of Eden, including the power and authority of women. Look closely at how much and often Jesus ministered to and with women. Look up the statistics on it. Go and next time you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look at how many Women surrounded all the disciples of Jesus and everything that was going on there. The curse in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, was that. It was a consequence 
for walking away from humanity's true identity. Here's a side note um, from an article I read by Dr. Sue and Larry Richards. It says this about what had happened with Adam and Eve. And for the sake of time, I'm not reading the whole text, but I think a majority of us are familiar with what went down in the garden there. Um, where the consequence was in Genesis 3.16, he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Whew, and in pain you will give birth. Us men, we, we might have seen that happen. And all the ladies are going, have mercy, Lord. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Okay, here's um, a statement from some of the ancient rabbis that uh, Dr. Sue and Larry Richards wrote about. It says, the sayings of the rabbis who lived during and after the time of Christ emphasized the otherness of women. The supposition was that women were essentially different from men. Rabbinic sages even offered a different explanation of Eve's Hebrew name, linking it to the Aramaic word for serpent. As a result, many Midrashic stories related about Eve portray her either as a dangerously evil character or as a silly and childish female who was approached by the serpent because she was light-minded and vulnerable to his cunning. How different the Eve of the rabbis is from the Eve portrayed in Scripture who, although deceived, was neither vile or silly. How striking that stereotypes promoted by men tend to emphasize real or imagined differences between men and women, while God's word in Genesis emphasizes their essential equality. So your desire in Genesis 3.16 shall be for or to control your husband, but he shall rule over you. Do you think this was the Father God's eternal will for them? No, what was it? It was simply the consequences of their disobedience. It was not meant as an eternal mandate, but would be a consequence of sin until Jesus came to reverse the curse, to set the captives free. See, this is why you even see hints of this curse within the Mosaic law. You can find it there in these legal differences. However, Jesus came to unturn all of that not because he was rebellious but because it was God's heart from the beginning and he came to restore that which had been lost set the captives free furthermore the coming of the kingdom of God brought a new credential system forever expunged was the man-made notion that sons were the only ones to receive an inheritance or have authority in the name of God. In God's kingdom, no longer would race, socioeconomic status, or gender determine one's place because in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In Paul's first letter to the church, which for doctoral students, I call it his dissertation on grace. In our terms, he would have been a, a multi-PhD. So in the very first letter he ever wrote, it's the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians. That's important to know. This was his main thing. This was the first thing. He writes this, there is now no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Obviously, there are physical, spiritual, there's differences, there's complementary differences between men and women. I'm not saying that. Trust me, I know. And that's God-ordained, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. But God created this way. Let me just sum up, and I'm closing. Again, a quote from um, a a book recently that I, I, I think everybody should have. Every woman in the Bible, if you're interested, write that down. Every woman in the Bible, get it on Amazon. Um, Dr. Larry and Sue write this. What we are always to remember as we look into Scripture's teaching on women, and in this series that I'm doing, is that women equally with men have been gifted by God with his own image likeness. You got that? That's been clear from what we've read so far, what's been laid out, right? He created them in his image. The women we meet in Scripture and in the coming weeks here display these gifts just as clearly as do the male heroes of our faith. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.